0: Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And for this episode, we will be picking up where, sort of where we left off, one of the loose ends, I Mm. guess you could say, of last week's episode, Uh, although this won't necessarily be specifically about what's going on in the CRC. It'll be about a broader problem, Uh, but we might just say it's the problem of the idolatry of reputation, something that... uh, I think many, many Christians suffer with, suffer through or mm-hmm. uh, need to, to work on and think about, uh, especially in our current cultural climate. Yeah. Um, you know, as I look back on my own life growing up in the evangelical world, and I grew up really sort of right in the middle of it, um, going to Bible churches or Baptist churches and then to non-denominational church, uh, something that was ever present in my lingering in the lingering in the back of my mind as a young person was this desire to be seen as cool, a cool Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, I remember always having this sense from the, about the time that I was a teenager of, uh, feeling as though Christians were a little bit backwards and outdated. Um, in some ways I could use my Christianity card as a sort of social boon for myself. It would be helpful Mm. to play that card. I go to church, I'm a good kid, uh, so on and so forth. I have good morals and I believe the right things. And in some corners of my life, that would be helpful. That would kind of get me in the door. Um, and in other ways I, I quickly began to realize that being a Christian, uh, would would be seen uh, negatively in some in some way, mm-hmm. uh, and I think this dramatically began to increase by the time I reached high school in the mid two thousands. Uh, there's a interesting social uh, analyst named Aaron Wren who talks about how we now live in a in the world that he describes as the negative world where Christianity is seen. Uh, more or less negatively by the surrounding culture in which we live. And I think he would argue, I don't know for sure, but he, I think he would argue that in the 2000s, going from the 90s to the 2000s, is when this negative world really came to the fore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the rise of the, uh, the new atheist movement with Christopher Hitchens and uh, other atheists of that era, Sam, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... With, the, with that movement gaining speed in the tw- early 2000s, I, I think Christians began to really feel uh, as though we were not, not only not cool, but non-intellectual. Uh, and there's been a derision uh, ever since, and lo- it, maybe even long before that, of evangelicals being seen as fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can rem- remember in high school uh, really loving Christian music that, People saw as cool. Mm. One of my favorite bands in high school was a band called Under Oath. Maybe some of our listeners have heard this band. This band mm. was lo- was loved far and wide, far outside of Christian circles. I can remember they played the main stage at Warped Tour several years wow. in a row. That, that was a big deal. They weren't on one of the tiny little stages off to the side. They mm. were the center mm. stage. They were a, a huge deal, and they were this Christian band.
0: Kind of like Anne Berlin was that way too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Anne
1: Berlin was huge as well. And these bands I idolized. Um, many of them, including Under Oath, are no longer Christians, uh, which is an interesting other story. Maybe we could tell another <laughs> time. Yeah. But as a young person, I felt this deep desire to be seen as cool and would be willing to to do almost anything and everything to maintain that reputation of being a cool Christian. Mm. Uh, and this is something that I think has deeply embedded itself not only into my psyche, but into the psyche of of Christians uh, far and wide, especially in the Western world today. And so in this episode, we want to talk more about this, this, this idolatry of reputation, uh, both in broader evangelicalism, but also, of course, in our own denomination, the Christian Reformed Church as well.
0: Yeah, when I preach, I... There's there's a sort of typical list of sins that um, that I would include in uh, confronting the congregation with calling people to repentance from, but I have to admit that idolatry of reputation doesn't always work its way into hmm. that that list. Um, maybe you know occasionally I, I would mention it. I think I did maybe a month or two ago, uh, but this can be. A really, really big deal. And so I I think it's one of those sins that flies under the radar a lot of times. it's more subtle. Yeah. And um, part of the reason that we want to bring this up is how how complicated the topic is. It really requires a pretty good conversation, even a bit of a lengthy conversation, I think, because having a good reputation is a good thing. Right. And uh, we'll even get into some passages in the Bible that call us to be cognizant of how we are being perceived by other people and uh, being uh, known as somebody who is helpful and cooperative and thoughtful and wise, um, that's a good thing. And yet, I of course, uh, we, I like Tim Keller's definition of an idol. An idol is when any good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And so mm-hmm. idolatry of reputation is where how people perceive us determines, how we function as a church, what I preach, um, what the sorts of decisions we make as a denomination or as a congregation—you um, know—it it can. So that's the macro scale. But then there's yeah. also the the micro decision making factor, which hmm. says, um, you know, every day I want people to like me more and more. Hmm. And uh, I think that we'll see again and again in this conversation that that is a prison to live in. Um, the the obsession with How People Perceive Me, Um, my goodness, I I really don't like the teaching of Joyce Meyer, but um, she has a book called Approval Addiction, Hmm. and I didn't pick that book up because I would guess that (laughs) it's probably not that great of a book, but it's got a great title, actually, Um, Approval Addiction, Hmm. and um, that's men and women, young and old, not just teenagers thinking about popularity. Um, you know, to be fully honest with listeners, pastors struggle with popularity. We do. Yeah, Um, absolutely. We want to be popular. We want to be liked. And, and so often that, that isn't just for the name and the glory of Christ, Mm -hmm. but, um, sometimes we want that popularity for our namesake. And so, uh, we're going to be thinking about, about this matter, um, not just denominationally, although this certainly has a lot of applications to our, the Christian Reformed Church right now yeah. um, for conservatives and progressives. Um, but but even more broadly, we want to ask you, the listener, the question, are you idolizing your reputation?
1: Yeah, and as you said, there are several passages in, in Scripture uh, which highlight the benefit, the beauty of a good reputation. Uh, One of these would be 1 Timothy 3, which talks about respectability and a good reputation being a requirement of an elder. The requirements of elders are, in some sense, uh, ideals that all Christians Mm -hmm. uh, ought to strive for, uh, however imperfectly. And so respectability and a good reputation is is a good thing. Uh, I think that's something that uh, fits and connects to what Christ calls us to be when he says that we are to be lights of the world uh, and we are to be salt, the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these are, uh, sort of our public image and our public reputation. Uh, Christians should be seen as those who love and care and serve and sacrifice and are generous and, uh, are respecting and respectable. All of these things, uh,
0: Yeah, the influence of our culture is so Christian that the culture still values a lot of those things. Right.
1: Yeah. And if you want more interesting thoughts on that, go find Tom Holland. Absolutely, (laughs) Uh, to his book Dominion. His book Dominion, arguing that in so many ways, even secularism in the Western world is deeply Christian in its morality and its moral outlook, its ethical vision— is in, in many ways very Christian, caring for the poor, especially yeah, caring would for be, the poor, you know, the weak, the the powerless. Yeah, uh, those ideals. the The fact that they are ideals, he would argue, is because of Christianity's deep influence over the, the several millennia uh, of Christianity's existence.
0: Uh, but I think he would argue that that's changing, right? And and so it's there, morphing. Yeah, it's shifting off onto other moral axes, you might say.
1: Yes so it's a it's a received tradition ethical tradition uh, but it is being uh, it's being changed and it's evolving in ways that are now it now it uses itself to I think in many ways dethrone Christianity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And so I often think of of those sorts of uh, mutations as being sort of like, T1 cells, when, when they're good, when they are helping the body remain healthy, mm. uh, these are white blood cells, but they can be really, really bad uh, when there's too many of them. That's actually what autoimmune disorders are, where your body begins to fight itself. Mm. And it's your immune reactions are so heightened that it actually begins to be a negative uh, that's that's sort of what I think uh, is happening in our world as we turn, as our world, or as our culture turns its back ethically on uh, Christian ethics. It has retained some of the basics of Christian ethics, but now it sees Christianity as the oppressor, the, yeah. the powerful that needs to be thrown off and we need to be released from. And that is how the utopian vision will be ushered in, insofar as we uh, restrict religion the Mm -hmm. christian religion and uh unleash ourselves from its shackles uh that's that's sort of i think the the broad idea
0: yeah and it's not just in the ethical sense either it's it's very much in the theological sense of um how the bible is thought of for example um you're not going to hear on this podcast that zach and i believe so strongly there needs to be Prayer in public schools again, and Hmm. kids need to learn the Bible as part of their public school curriculum. Like that's that is more of the fundamentalist um, mantra, even still, particularly in the Bible Belt area. Um, We don't believe the government should become a uh, sort of a a tool of the Hmm. church um, to to tell you know, for example, non-believing teachers, that they have to be leading a, a, a classroom in prayer and, and teaching the Bible and so forth. I think that actually has a pretty detrimental effect to their faith. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, we would also recognize that, that holding the Bible up as the Word of God is something wonderful and true and, um, you know, a revelation of God about what reality even is. Um, that mentality uh, is... I don't know if it would always have been accepted in that regard in American society, but there, there was a man who um, passed away about a year ago in our church, um, mm-hmm. Bob, who would, who would often talk about this, where mm-hmm. at least people would get the sense that the Bible is a good book. Yeah. And, and so a non-believer would walk into a church 50 years ago and have at least the assumption that the Bible is probably something you should pay attention to. Yeah, there's something Um,
1: worthwhile. Yeah, exactly.
0: And whereas the the negative world has kind of flipped that, where um, a lot of sermons actually include a a good amount of apologetics, just arguing for uh, the beauty, the goodness, the quality, and the truth of of God's Word. Um, Even in my preaching courses, I received what I think was some good advice, that a preacher can't assume that people... Um, want to listen to you. And so uh, uh, that's all related to this conversation of reputation, because uh, we can be honest and aware that in American culture, uh, generally the Bible is not regarded as the Word of God, uh, particularly the inerrant Word of God uh, that is perfect. Um, And so when we hold to that belief in inerrancy or in uh, the virgin birth, the miracles of the Old and New Testaments, the physical resurrection of Jesus, uh, the ethical teachings of the Old and New Testaments, we can be aware that that's not always going to be popular, and so we it's have to, going to cost us right. In certain ways. We've got to be ready to sacrifice, and and so in this conversation, we actually hope to to be what I would call equal opportunity convictors that. Uh, conservatives struggle with idolatry of reputation, and progressive people also yeah. struggle maybe in some different ways um, with oh, this absolutely. idolatry of of reputation as well. And so um, you've done a little research, though, Zach, on, on um, kind of how this works out in the evangelical culture, and I'm a little bit curious to hear um, some of the reading that you've done.
1: Yeah, so there's a really interesting article that we, maybe we can put in the show notes um, that has spurred my thinking in this direction. Uh, it, it's from the American Reformer, which I'd never heard of till I came across this article. And the way I came across it myself was through an, another podcast. It's a hmm. podcast called Faith and Honor, which I listen to only very occasionally, and uh, but the podcast episode caught my attention. This was back in 2021. It was. It's called Evangelicalism's Embarrassment Reflex, uh, which I think is a good title. And they have, as a guest, the author of this article who wrote something similarly titled on the American Reformers website called The Embarrassment Reflex, Evangelicals and Culture. And this this uh, article sort of tells the story Uh, from the 20th century up to the present time of evangelicalism's longstanding sense of uh, not being good enough in the culture's eyes and in various ways, but particularly in the intellectual way. Hmm. And so the article starts with a really good quote, which I think is extremely pertinent to our discussion here from Mark Knoll, uh, one of the major historians of the, I believe, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, He's a major evangelical historian really of American Christianity. And he writes this this quote. It's a quote that I think has uh, loomed large yeah. for evangelicalism over the last several decades. I believe he wrote this in 1994. But he says, the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. Basically meaning to say that evangelicalism has not come to be known as a very intellectual uh, or robust tradition of thought. Uh, Mark and I are currently reading a book on Abraham mm. Kuyper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can pull it up here. It's Great called book. The Contours of the Kuyperian Tradition by Craig Bar- Bartholomew. And he points out an interesting story in the opening pages of the book uh, how uh, in the 20th century, in the early part of the 20th century, a major Scottish theologian named James Orr began mm. trying to speak to modernity from a robustly uh, Protestant and scottish presbyterian standpoint and what how he began to in many ways uh, think about ideas of worldview and he kind of stands as sort of scotland's Kuiper, at yeah. least that's how it's being pitched i don't know much about james or myself uh, but he, the author craig bartholomew contrasts this with, with what was happening in england at the time and how at the cambridge uh, christian union they were having different american re- sort of revivalist preachers come and give very sentimental messages yeah. to these college students emotionally about manipulative wanting to yeah. see your mother in heaven and yeah. who wants to see your mother in heaven and they would sing these very emotional songs and how that he he talks about how this wasn't really having much effect uh and I, I think that that's a good example of what yeah. Mark Knoll is getting at. I don't yeah. think Mark Knoll is in, is entirely wrong. Uh, I think that evangelicalism has in many ways been too given to sentimentality. Yeah.
0: Uh, Finneyism. To
1: Phineism, yeah. that yeah. sort of, uh, yeah, second great awakening, revivalistic spirit, you might say. And so there's there's definitely some truth. And I, I think that this quote from from that there is not much of an evangelical mind it's spoken in response to something but it also ever since he wrote that has been has only sort of confirmed evangelicals sense of not being intellectual enough and it has made us a tradition that has in many ways developed a, an inferiority complex um and this has manifested itself in, mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. One of those ways is to is that it has made us want to be very cool. And so you you see, as I was talking about in my opening story of loving the band Under Oath, I wanted to be a cool Christian. Uh, in the early 2000s, there came a, a new magazine, which still has a, a, a perfect title, yeah. called Relevant Magazine. Uh, and that was something that me and my friends and those who are a little bit older than me, uh, eight up. We we I loved that magazine. I would follow it on, online and read a lot of its uh, articles that it put put out because it was basically trying to make Christianity relevant. And it, the way it was doing that mainly was through making it cool. Uh, so that was one manifestation of evangelicals sort of felt sense of inferiority. The other manifestation has been and it's related to that first one of being cool. It's the the, the sense that we need to be cool. We need to accommodate culture through our cool intellectualism, our yeah. ability to be very nuanced, very, very thoughtful, to sort of know what the, the best thinkers are saying. Intellectually uh, impressive. Intellectually impressive. Yeah. And yeah. if you know kyperianism from our own reform tradition, you can see how these sort of uh, have linked up, and they're very much in sync in different ways. Kuyperianism uh, isn't afraid of interacting with the deepest or the best thought that's out there that's available to us. Uh, Kyperianism very much encourages us to get into the academy, to think mm-hmm. deeply about about things, uh, and to engage from the standpoint of God's word, but through uh, what's being said in, in the broader cultural world around us. And so many Christians have begun to, to sense that uh, to be intellectually cool we have to sort of affirm and agree with with what the world is saying uh, and so uh, we want to accommodate I no. think we want to bow the knee in this article on the American Reformer website um, the embarrassment reflex of evangelicals and culture uh, the author of this uh, who's a young guy I forget his name John Errett I think uh, <laughs> he makes the the profound point that this has meant this is this, this inferiority complex has led evangelicals towards seeing theology uh, as a tool that should be used and is used best when it's used in 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 the uh in the work of social justice and social transformation mm. uh and so this goes back to our episode i believe it was episode 117 just a few episodes a- ago where we talk Ask the question, what is theology for? Yeah. If theology is for making us cool, we must therefore say things that the world will find appealing and yeah. enjoyable. And
0: even study the types of things the world will find appealing. Yes. Yeah. So not and just we what must, we say.
1: For the most part, join with the world's critiques of the church mm. and say, yes, we're so bad. <laughs> yes the church is so messed up yes the church is too prone to, to use power and the church is power hungry and wrong and twisted and sinful and you know what I don't even like the church I'm not even going to go to church anymore mm. I'm gonna start hanging out with people that also hate the church and I'm just gonna slowly you know fall off the the Christian bandwagon uh, without actually falling off mm-hmm. uh, and and so that I think is part of how this inferiority complex of the evangelical reputation has played out, but it's also played out, as you mentioned, Mark, and you can go into this, uh, in different ways for the conservative side yep. of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, idolatry of reputation among conservatives, I think particularly in the Christian Reformed church is to want to be approved by the very conservative groups. And so Maybe if if you're listening to the podcast and just getting um, interested or just learning more about Reformed ecumenical work, um, hmm. there is a group called NAPARC. Um, I, what does that stand for, Zach? I forget. I think it's
1: North American Presbyterian and Reformed Churches. Sure, yeah. Something like that.
0: And so this is a, a an association. It's not a denomination, but it's an association or a uh, a collection, collection yeah, yeah, of uh, relationships between um, conservative Reformed denominations. So it would include the Orthodox Presbyterian and the, the United, United Reformed Churches and so forth. The PCA. And, and, and churches like that. And, um, and so the Christian Reformed Church was removed from NAPARC um, in the 1990s because of the women in office issue. And yeah. um, I know that for many people— that was a real damaging thing to our sense of ourselves and and it was very hurtful to how we we perceive ourselves if we're really a pure true church um because there was another group of churches or denomination that was saying that we weren't yeah um and so uh we i I say this because we are of a a more theologically conservative congregation um, could be very influenced to want a high and and strong reputation among NAPARC churches. Hopefully, oh, maybe they would take us back someday or, (laughs) um, you know, uh, to think in that kind of way. And um, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing to repair relationships Mm -hmm. that have been um, damaged through uh, decisions that were made. But I think that that can loom large and sometimes too large in, uh, do we want to appeal to NAPARC or do we want to, say what, what the word says and, and, and love in a way that Christ loves and, Mm -hmm. and so forth. And again, I don't think those are necessarily, um, uh, mutually exclusive things. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, some can pay so much attention to what's happening in the conservative denominations that, um, you know, I might might even put myself in this to be quite honest. I I would almost get distracted, I would say, um, by these sorts of religious, political, sociological sorts of movements, mm-hmm. instead of just saying, I need to say what the word says this week in my sermon, I need to love the people that the Lord puts in front of me, and um, mm-hmm. it's gonna be okay if i if I just a faithful minister here in this church, and if yep. those very conservative churches never think very highly of me again.
1: Yeah, I, I, this makes me think of a funny conversation that I had. I. W- about the first year or two that I was here in Ripon at this church, uh, I was invited to go to a, a guys' night with <laughs> mostly guys from a uh, United Reformed Church, uh, and somebody mentioned, or or maybe I mentioned Nay Park. Uh, jokingly, I forget the exact context of the conversation, but all of them were quick to point out that, Oh, you're not a part of Park." Yeah. That's Uh, weird
0: that people even know that man.
1: (laughs) And these are mostly (laughs) lay laymen. Yeah. Uh, And in my mind, I was like, okay, ouch, but also I don't really personally care about (laughs) Park. That isn't to say that I, I don't have my own sort of Park, quote unquotes of people that I want to be seen and be respected by. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I I confess that there's times where I I will write something in a sermon and I'll think I wonder what so-and-so would think of this yeah I, yeah. I hope I would get their approval if they were to hear what I said here uh, and that is that is a wicked sort of thought to have yeah. as you pointed out mark my, my thought should be is God honored by this does does God appreciate what I'm what I'm saying or doing or thinking I shouldn't be wanting to uh, find the approval of man And I think I never I'd never heard of that book by Joyce Myers but the approval addiction is real it's a yeah. real thing and thank God for Paul's strong words in Galatians 1:10 famous verse many of us know where he asks, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God yeah you yeah. must be seeking the approval of God and not of man
0: yeah and, and one way that this can really be manifest in conservative circles is by churches aligning themselves with a figurehead. I think. And that actually doesn't happen yeah. very much in the Christian Reformed church, but in Baptistic and Presbyterian conservative circles, that is a very, very big deal. Are you a Keller church or a Piper church or a R.C. Sproul church or a Ligon Duncan church or a MacArthur church? And it's, it's like mm-hmm. it, it can become a, a way of, um, becoming popular with a certain kind of person.
1: It's virtue signaling. In a yeah, certain way.
0: absolutely. It is. And, um, you know, what does Paul say? It's so clear in First Corinthians, right? Are you in a Paulist church? Are you a Paul church? Are you a Peter church? It's like yeah. we're Christians, brothers and sisters. You know that—that's the point of what Paul is saying there. And um, and mm-hmm. so we don't seek the approval of what would MacArthur say, what would Sproul say, or so forth. That and they can have good things to say about certain things, but I think that 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 desire to be not just like them, but oh, how great would it be if so-and-so came to this church someday to preach from this pulpit. Um, Again, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing in a lot of cases, but that's not a goal really for for a church to hold on to. Maybe quickly as we move into another issue um, among conservative uh, people is uh, we did a long time ago a review of the book Jesus and John Wayne, and that book uh, is basically devoted to uh, tearing down the reputation of the evangelical church in a lot of ways, uh, particularly churches uh, that are of a conservative type, a complementarian. That means yep. um, churches that, that uphold the, the teaching that, that men should be um, pastors, the ones who elders. are pastors, elders, and, and leaders in the church. Um, and so that, that book has real stories in it that do damage the reputation of um, theologically conservative churches. And I think that some people would read a book like that. And this was even my temptation to be honest and say, Oh, that's just cherry picking. And, and those are just the bad ones. But I think that yeah. conservatives do really need to grapple with having often a bad reputation because of alignments with, for example, people like Mark Driscoll and, mm-hmm. um, and so forth. And, and to have our eyes open that, um, just because someone is conservative, uh, we ought not to hitch our wagon to that horse. Yeah. Um, often it would be, it has been a perilous thing to do that, whether that's following certain homeschoolers and, um, and, or, or Driscoll in the early 2000s mm. getting so much attention. Um, I guess I am a little bit proud to say I was never really a fan of Mark Driscoll, <laughs> um, even though I was right in his shadow uh, serving a church in in Washington State um, from 2011 to 2015. Um, But we have to grapple with that damage to our reputation in the same way that the Roman Catholic Church has to recognize what the priest scandals have done and what some bad teaching from the Pope does for their reputation Hmm. and and so forth. We have to look at stories like that and say, um, this is a problem for our reputation and we can't just say oh we we live to please god or not man you know that that's kind of a a yeah, bad right. trump card right. response that that dismisses um some of the damage the real damage that has been done and so that's a little a lot more serious than just we want napark churches to like us that's saying uh some of our churches um have reputations for doing what's wrong yeah. and and we need to recognize that that's that's not Christian.
1: Yeah, and in some ways, those who critique our churches, our conservative churches, they're not entirely wrong. Right. That was that was my sense of reading that book, and you can go back and listen to our episode. I'm not. I wasn't a fan of the book. Yeah. I, I didn't think that it was it was uh, all that great of an argument. It
0: seemed uh, to have a political motive for looking at. The, it, the errors in the conservative movement more so than what I would say a, a Christian biblical motive.
1: Yeah, it, it was using p- political and historical lenses to yeah. try to undermine a theological position. Sure. Um, but, the, but, but the book still, wasn't entirely wrong. Yeah, exactly. There, there's, yeah. there's definitely truth to that, and we need to... Uh, squarely look at that square in the face um and and recognize it as whether we liked it or not like you said about mark driscoll you didn't like him but in some ways we're connected connected to his movement yeah. to yeah. what he what he did and all the fallout that comes with it uh for various reasons and so that needs to be grappled with. Of course, that's difficult. How much responsibility yeah. do you have as a yeah. CRC pastor that just happened to live in the, his same geographical location? Uh, the CRC and Acts 29 are very, very different. They, there's not a whole lot of uh, connection. I don't know if there's any CRC churches that are in the Acts 29 network. Most of them yeah, are I don't Baptistic. Think so. Yeah, And so. And it, it, so it brings up for me the question of how should Christians... Try to uh,
0: repair the reputation. Repair the yeah. reputation. Yeah.
1: And what kind of reputation should we have? Mm. I get the sense that, uh, and this could be wrong. I'm very willing to admit that this could be wrong. But I get, I get this sense that progressives really want Christians to have a very mopey <laughs> reputation. To grovel. Yeah. To grovel. Yeah. To navel gaze. Look at how bad we've been. And if we can do that well enough, maybe our culture will see that we're sincere, and they will say Christ is really among you. Um, I don't think that's quite the way that yeah. it should go, or we should we should go. Uh, I also don't think we should just uh, sweep everything under the rug and pretend it's not there.
0: And in a way, that's what Jesus and John Wayne is about, is sweeping it under the rug decade after decade. So it's really
1: a book that is trying to pull the skeletons out of the closet, Yeah, and there's some good truth to that, and there's a need for that. Um, I think sometimes she sees skeletons that really aren't there, but— that's beside the point, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but it's
0: related to our reputation. So how, what kind yeah. of
1: reputation should we have? How should we sort of, uh, you might say, polish up our CVs hmm. uh, to, to the to the broader culture? Uh, we don't want to be fake, but yeah. we also don't want to be groveling. Uh, and that's something that I think is a difficult question that many Christians are, are getting at. And I'm not, I'm not sure I have all yeah. the answers, but I think I have maybe have pinpointed a deep uh problem here
0: yeah and well, i would say let's go to zechariah who despises the day of small things right and hmm. are we going to rebuild the reputation of a, of a, of a church like ours i we don't have a bad reputation in our town but hmm. i would guess for some people moving into ripon which is happening a lot right now it's a growing community lots of bay area people hmm. coming into the area um I would guess that for some, they would really struggle with a church like ours. Um, hmm. It's it, it has the the feel of a uh, traditional kind of church. We have an organ that plays yeah. and I, I preach in a certain way that's straight out of the Bible uh, very cl- clearly throughout the sermon and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And so um, can we do one big thing that's going to convince everyone in this city that we're a loving church? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But can we live with beautiful marriages where where we really, the men in, in these marriages who, who we proclaim are the leader of, of that family are truly sacrificing themselves like Christ gave himself up for the church. Yeah. That, and so with a thousand small things, a, a thousand small examples of that mm-hmm. can show the beauty of that. And um, if somebody were to come in and say, the, the women of this church are... Confident, and they love their husbands, and they're not uh, they they trust them, and so forth. Like you, you can get a sense for for that. Actually, that's that's one of the, the really beautiful things I've seen in complementarian circles is joyful women, hmm. utterly joyful women who yeah. are glad to be a pastor's wife, for example, or who are are, are just who love to talk about the Lord and their relationship to the Lord, and. Uh, their care that their husband gives to them, and and how they love being a mom, for example. Um, yeah. That's not the call for every single woman, but but if there is, if there are a thousand examples of small things happening to me, that's uh, that's a way of moving, hopefully, as as a, a movement or as a church, even in the direction of restoring a reputation. So, um, and that isn't done necessarily to restore the reputation per se, but that's just done out of the overflow of the heart um, because we are convinced that this is a good way to live um, and how our church functions, so.
1: Yeah, there's an interesting overlap, I think, between Christians' good reputation before the Lord and our yeah. good reputation before the world. Yeah. If we have a good reputation before the Lord, if we are honoring him in what we do, say, and think, Uh, we will, in many general ways, have a good reputation before the world. However, there's a catch to that. There will be times, and Jesus doesn't allow us to uh, avoid this implication, Hmm. there will be times when having a good reputation before God will cost us greatly before the world, and it will mean we don't have a good reputation before the world. Christians in the early church were seen as insubordinate as rebel rousers as problem causers before not only the jewish leaders and elite but before the roman the roman uh, overlords Uh, and they were sort of looked down upon and despised despite the fact that they weren't doing anything that actually was wrong they were following god's god's will they were going and preaching the gospel they were Healing the sick,
0: taking in ta- infants taking who were discarded, in infants yeah. who were
1: discarded, all of these these sorts of things, they were doing amazing things that would we we would laud, but that inevitably le- bumps into the world's concerns. Yeah, uh, there there is uh, very much the sense in the New Testament. I think that uh, the kingdom of God is taking back enemy territory, and God is is uh, I think. Th- Christ's kingdom is inaugurated in His arrival, and it it is growing even still. And hmm. it is not uh, insurrection or rebellion, uh, in so much as it is taking back what is rightfully God's. Yeah, um, yeah. I love what so, Bavinck
0: says. There is Christianity is not revolutionary; it is reformational. Yeah, and I think that corrects a lot of the conservative impulses that might be yeah. of a more revolutionary type. That's yeah. what you find a lot of in Jesus and John Wayne. Those yeah. revolutionary impulses. We're gonna yeah. storm the gates, you know, and, and so forth. Yep. Um, bovink says Christianity mm-hmm. is not a revolutionary. It's not a rebellious religion. Mm-hmm. It's a reformational religion, which yeah. it's so key. Yeah,
1: and so it's it's restorative then yeah. too. Absolutely, uh, and. But that's going to mean that we're going to bump up against the opinions of people in our broader world, yeah. Who don't want to be reformed. <laughs> it's not for it's not without reason that Christianity, even in the Book of Acts, as we've been studying here at Ammon Valley, it gets under people's skin. Yeah. Even when it's the early Christians in Acts, and know that things aren't perfect, obviously, but they're doing some pretty amazing things, and they're sacrificing greatly for the Lord, and that is that causes problems inevitably. Uh, I I think one of the unfortunate things of progressives in evangelicalism, uh, if I, if I do go down that route is that they they have joined the world uh, in Mm. in the, in the sense that the world dislikes Christianity in its purest sense. And they have sort of, uh, They've they've jumped across the line and began pointing fingers of accusation, primarily at Christians. And they've it, there's a there's a real deep sense of of I sort of loathe myself and my tradition. There's yeah. an interesting article um, that is quoted in the article that I've already talked about from the American Reformer, uh, where it's an it's an article from First Things, and it's written by a man named Stephen Dilly. I I don't know who this is, but uh, according to the article, he's been a professor at a few different evangelical colleges. Hmm. And he writes this, He talks about this sort of self self-loathing sort of concept. He says in my experience evangelical schools what he means by that are colleges evangelical schools are particularly deft at self-loathing in two decades and four schools ranging from conservative to liberal private to public pious to secular i have never encountered the sheer volume of self-loathing that i experienced as a student and professor at an evangelical college while my experience is anecdotal i doubt if it's unique why do so many students at evangelical colleges look with disdain upon their own institution and, in a sense, upon themselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, uh, again, from an article in, in First Things by Stephen Dilley, written back in 2014. So that's quite some time ago. But there is sure this ramped up since The sense yeah. in which many of us, many evangelicals, self-proclaimed evangelicals, have this deeply embedded sense of, of embarrassment and disdain for ourselves. And so... We figure the best way to fight against it is to self-flagellate, to join with those who mostly openly hate us, and maybe that is how we will uh, begin to show them that we are uh, really, truly good people, which I just think is a really interesting approach,
0: Uh, to say the least. Yeah, and you see that um, among progressive groups. Um, So George Yancey is a sociologist at Baylor and um, wrote a book about... The differences between um, evangelical conservative Christianity in America and more progressive liberal Christianity in America, and um, one of the purposes of the book is to say that these are are actually two different religions. Um, and he asks the two main questions: How do people understand what the Bible is, and how do you under how do people understand what Jesus came to do? Hmm. And so, um, with with conservative evangelical Christianity, you would find people saying very quickly, um, the Bible is the inerrant perfect word of God. And, um, it, it ought to be, sometimes people would say, um, interpreted literally, which comes with all kinds of baggage of what that might mean. We also have an episode. Yes, on that. <laughs> we've done an episode on that. Do do we interpret the Bible literally? Um, and so you could maybe check that out if you could find it in the archives. Um, but, uh, along what the work of christ is um the evangelical conservative christian in america would say he came to die for our sins um perhaps even quoting first Timothy one christ jesus came into the world to save sinners and Mm -hmm. so um that would be the understanding of the main message of christianity among some and then the other um uh, the bible is uh people would probably say the word of god in a lot of cases. Um, in even in the progressive church, mm-hmm. um, but would be would be very quick to uh, put it in its historical context. So much so that I would even say it would defang the Bible mm-hmm. pretty quickly and 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 in some very significant ways. And cast aspersions, right, it. right. And so uh, I've I've heard a sermon from a Christian Reform pulpit um, that basically criticized Leviticus, for example, where um, the big disclaimer is given. Um, sorry, everyone, this book is, I, I believe it was, uh, um, I know the word patriarchal, horrifically patriarchal was the words that were used, um, and and that there's so much violence and blood in this book that sort of give the trigger warning. And so th- that minister is setting, in this case, herself up over the passage, over the text, to say, this is God's word, it's, it's helpful in some way, because it's in the Bible, but... Um, you know this is some messed up stuff is basically what she's saying yeah um and so uh, along with that the mission of christ um being more to uh set the captives free um in the sociological sociopolitical sense mm-hmm. um to to be a justice seeker and a, a kingdom builder whatever exactly that might mean yeah um and so yeah there's a lot of a lot of truth to to that in that christ came to set captives free but um george yancey makes a a fascinating observation in that book. He said that he found, um, this is with sociological research by a a, a very reputable um, academic, that among those in the liberal camp, there would be more of a desire to cooperate um, or invite into their schools or churches non-believers, so people who would subscribe to Zen Buddhism or um, who are openly atheistic, More, more of a desire to invite such people into their churches as speakers than there would be a desire to invite an evangelical person into their, uh, into their churches, and so you, we find this in the Christian Reformed Church, mm-hmm. for example, where, um, you know, uh, people who are asked to be speakers at events. Could we imagine? Doug Wilson being invited to Calvin University, no, um, yeah, and, we'll, and, and that would that would, that would send shockwaves through the Calvin community. Now um, he is he's right of us, and and um, and we have our own issues, of course, with Doug yeah. Wilson, um, but certainly is a Christian man. Um, I think, in, in, uh, by all accounts, and and, per, and by all the evidence that we've seen, or somebody like Carl Truman or Kevin DeYoung. Who, um, who or less, are
1: even even less uh, abrasive? Oh yeah, say, um, far
0: less abrasive. C- certainly, yeah, and and we would be fans of Carl and and Kevin on our you know uh, and in who we listen to. But would such a person be invited into a progressive church? Absolutely not. Why? Because again, the idolatry of reputation and what that could mean if. There's any sense that this church would be going evangelical or leaning, you know, they would say, platforming um, yeah, a yeah. Uh, a a person who is a Republican or is um, against modern gender theory and so forth. And like, that makes me wonder Diana.
1: who's the fundamentalists now. <laughs> sure, I, I I can't help but think that. Yeah, uh, it, you know, the whole idea growing up i remember people saying oh christians you're so narrow minded be more intolerant yeah or be more tolerant you're so intolerant uh, could we not say the same thing it's interesting that that many progressive christians today are very puritanical and i don't mean that to oh, deride man. the puritans i mean that in that sort of
0: in the in the caricature of, sense the yeah.
1: yeah exactly that yeah. sense of the word uh they're very puritanical in their sense of uh, black censorious, and whiteness. We could say yeah, censorious. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> too wicked to even be conceived, and it it will sort of taint our reputation. Uh, we we will be unholy if we platform Carl Truman. Uh, it's just it's really interesting. It's really wild. It's uh, a great double standard if if there ever was one.
0: Well, and and the reason that that he would not get a hearing at a lot of institutions is the reputation, the, the idolatry of reputation issue. So it's not so much that um, we're afraid of his ideas. Probably it's, it's that, what does it signal to our students? And it hurts them. And what does it signal to yeah. a prospective student that a a man like Carl Truman or Kevin Young would come to a church or or a uh, yeah. or an, a, a school like this to be a speaker? I mean, this just happened at Stanford, right, with the uh, the mm-hmm. judge who was there and mm-hmm. and got shouted down um it's happened at christian
1: schools like tim keller tim keller not being allowed to 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 give a a speech at princeton to receive an award absolutely couldn't even get the award and they changed it and gave it to somebody else that was back in 2018 i I believe
0: yeah so it has everything to do with how the school is going to be perceived um and again it's a prison that that these uh people live in um i think that we can see also i mean just to put it very plainly that um when it comes to ethics, the progressive camp uh, would definitely pull back on many biblical um, teachings, um, especially from the pulpit. So, for example, if somebody's listening to this, and and if you cannot imagine your pastor saying homosexuality is a sin from the pulpit, um, or I mean, you could even say
1: living together before marriage.
0: Yeah, it, that's another one, or, or or you know certain forms of greed, or uh, to go on the conservative side. Um, you know, trusting in your gun, trusting ultimately in your gun for your safety. Um, if you cannot imagine that your minister would say those things, there is very likely a a very strong, um, possibility that there's an idolatry of reputation happening, Hmm. um, among pastors who would withdraw or, or pull back from the clear teaching of scripture. Yeah. And so um, I think that's actually a lot of Christian Reformed pulpits where people would say, I-, I can't imagine my pastor saying from the pulpit that homosexual activity is a sin. Um, well, that's what the Bible says, um, and, and that's, that's, what, that's life in a, in a lot of ways. If we really believe that the word of God is useful and, and helpful for building up, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness— Um, as pastors, we need to say what the Bible says, just as John Calvin said, nothing more and nothing less. And, um, and so, um, I think there is a lot of that idolatry of reputation of wanting to be known as cool, as, as acceptable Mm -hmm. uh, or as, um, sort of tuned into culture. And so, not just preaching certain things and content but even preaching about certain topics or avoiding other topics um maybe to give an example of this i heard a sermon recently on uh, from a christian reform pulpit again on uh jesus words to the church in thyatira in um in revelation and the sermon uh the the issue in thyatira was sexual immorality very clearly very explicitly said in Mm -hmm. the sermon or in in the Jesus words you know I applaud I applaud you for not tolerating the prophetess Jezebel who pulls people into sexual immorality and and so that's the where I thought the sermon was going to go but it actually became all about economics and so um, because of the, uh, the the situation in Thyatira as an economic center um, sexuality had actually more to do with economic engagement and so forth and so in the end, there was no confrontation of sexual immorality hmm. among the people in the church but it it became about economic injustices hmm. and so that's where um I, I just know you know i can hear uh as a a trained minister <laughs> um there's there's some desire to move away from what might sound like an evangelical sermon yeah uh, in in a, from a pulpit like that um because if we Say what Jesus said about sexual immorality: that it, it, who the he who commits this sin will lay on a bed of suffering them and their children. Um, yeah. That that sounds kind of strict or puritanical or um, or so forth. And so um, yeah. I don't know if that process thought process is all that went into the minister's head, but I think that that's probably a very real possibility.
1: So what do we do? <laughs> think we repent <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is which is an overly simple way of putting it perhaps but i think it's absolutely spot on we we need to remember now more than ever in our particular cultural context that god's opinion of us is far more important than man's opinion of us uh, yes we have a duty a command a vocation by god to as we said be the light of the world uh, which is really the reflective light of the world, reflecting the light yeah. of Christ yeah. to the world. Uh, that is a high, a high calling, to be the salt of the earth. Uh, but we are not the light of the world to serve the world's ends. We do not salt the earth to serve the world. The world's ends. We serve <laughs> the Lord's ends. And so, being light means that we are serving Him. Uh, yeah. That's why I think our our episode a few episodes ago in episode 117 is is important here. Uh, we should be s- aiming first and foremost for the glory of God in all things. This is where I think Westminster, uh, the shorter catechism, nails it. What is the yeah. chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah, uh, Absolutely, that is spot on. That is t- to be our, our chief aim. And along with that, whenever we do obey God, I think Obeying God's law in general brings blessing to ourselves and to those around us. And so insofar as we are not stealing or cheating on our wives or Mm. uh, disobeying in other ways, uh, we will have a good public reputation. Mm. But we must recognize that there will be times when no matter what we do in following God, it brings us to a crossroads and our public reputation may get... uh, it may be bad for us it yeah. may lead us into bad places that is an inevitability for the christian life and we must make a decision every day who am i serving is it myself and those who i think highly of or is it god yeah. we must make that decision with a immense amount of clarity in our minds if we are to continue being faithful to god's word
0: Yeah. Uh, Two thoughts as I close. Um, Stephen Lawson has a good podcast on preaching, and he said recently in one of his podcasts, if you, the pastor, preach um, in in a way that pleases God but no people, you've done what's good. And if you please in a way that pleases every person but not God, you have done wrong. And so uh, that just hit me, man. Like that's that's it and that's that ties into the passage of jeremiah 1 that i want to read too where where the lord says to jeremiah say the words that i give you um don't be afraid of what any person might think of you because you say these things but i'm going to be with you as long as you continue speaking for me and so jeremiah 1 6 through 10 the lord says Or uh, Jeremiah says, "Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth." But the Lord says to me, "This is Jeremiah, uh, or this is God saying to Jeremiah: Do not say I am only a youth, for all to to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you," declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, "Behold." I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant." And so there it is, not just for pastors, but for every person, uh, whether you are a youth or an older person, um, to say what God says, to love like Jesus loved people, um, to speak the truth so that people might be set free, come what may. And um, at times that will make us popular because we'll be building what is good in the world and people will see that at other times that will make us like Jeremiah, perhaps even thrown into prison, beaten up, um, hmm. ostracized by society. So um, that's that's really what we want to get at is, is not just that listeners would think in this way, but that the Christian Reformed Church would also um, let go of the idol of hmm. reputation and desire to speak the truth to love people like Jesus
1: yeah I, w- I would add to that only read the book of James <laughs> James is great for Christians who feel yeah. beleaguered and pushed aside uh, people, people struggling with this sort of inferiority complex read that book and let it be a guide to you we thank you for listening we hope it's been an encouragement to you and we are really looking forward to the next few episodes that we have to come until then grace and peace see you